AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, get your motor running, head on the highway. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we wanted to talk a bit about the concept of fuel economy and miles per gallon and kind of demystify it because there's a lot of misunderstanding out there i think about what makes a car uh, economic as far as fuel consumption goes and and the behaviors that that tie into fuel economy right well it seems easy it seems like you know you, you've got this this miles per gallon thing on a little sticker on your car when you buy it and yeah. and better miles per gallon is better right higher miles per gallon equals yes yeah i think um everybody's heard these words but 
there's some of these words that I don't know why certain terms end up this way, but you know this concept of uh, semantic satiation where you hear a phrase so many times that it stops having meaning. Yeah, sure. it becomes sort of a, a cone. You're yeah. just you're just you hear it and it just like, oh, yeah, those are words it's, that I've heard in that order before, but it doesn't just, actually have any application. Yeah, to it's me. just sounds. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I that's think pretty much everything it, my wife. It's kind of like that. Oh, that's a joke. I know. I know you're a sweet man. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's make miles per gallon real again. All right. Well, first of all, let's apologize to anyone who's not in the United States. Whoops. Yeah, because uh, this this is going to be a very U.S. centric kind of of topic, mostly because when we're talking about miles per gallon, we're talking about a government agency in the United States that actually tests this stuff. The and Environmental then, Protection Agency. Yes, the EPA uh, in the U.S. tests vehicles and then gives the miles per gallon rating for both city miles and highway miles for every vehicle sold in the United States. Well, and it's it's not that foreign countries don't have some kind of some uh, countries that are not the U.S. rather have, you know, don't have never heard of this kind of thing. You know, there's there's either liters per kilometer or um, I think that the designation in many metric using countries these days is liters per 100 kilometers, hmm. actually. But I'll get into that in a moment. Right. Per 100. That actually seems maybe more useful because it's more averaged out. Mm-hmm. It, it's more averaged out, and it well, gives you a more manageable number to think about. Well, then yeah, I because guess miles per gallon, though, I guess that's comes from some kind of averaging process. But anyway. then, you, but then, you know, it's not that every vehicle has the same amount of uh, storage space, like tank space, right? Mm-hmm. So miles per gallon is really only useful if you're actually doing the math in your head of, well, my my uh, tank can hold twelve point five gallons. And it gets, you know, 45 miles to the gallon, which means that on a full tank of gas, I've got to contact my child who's in school and can still <laughs> do math. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, but if you're talking about, uh, you know, miles to the hundred, you know, how many liters, uh, for a hundred kilometers, then that gives you a better idea of how far you can go based upon a certain amount of fuel. It, and it's also when you're comparing vehicles, that makes it pretty easy. But what does the EPA do? Well, technically it does one of two things. It either will test a vehicle at its uh, National Vehicle and Fuel Emissions Laboratory, NVFEL, which is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, it'll either put a vehicle through tests there or they will also accept vehicle manufacturers' data on the subject. So if the manufacturer has done its own tests and the data, they, they can send the data in to the EPA and the EPA will use that in its rating. What happens if they're not entirely truthful? That's a good question, and I don't have the answer to it. I would, I would suspect. I'm, I'm hoping that they that they only accept data of a certain scientific rigor. I um, would imagine so. Although I cannot vouch I, for that. Personally. I, I am fairly certain that that's well. I, at any rate, in the United States, anyway, particularly in it, well, not everywhere, but many places in the United States, you have to do. Uh, what are called emissions testing, where you are making sure that your vehicle emissions are within certain parameters. And uh, I would suspect that if a lot of vehicles were testing outside of it, of a particular make and model, it there might, might be some questions. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's that's related to miles per gallon. It's not analogous to it. It's not exactly the same thing. But any anyway, so the EPA uh, uses this information not only to put on the stickers of cars. And by the way, those stickers have changed over the last couple of years. They've been updated, and I'll talk about that in a second. But they also provide this information about the fuel economy to various other departments within the United States government. Some of them would be pretty easy for you to guess, like the Department of Energy. Uh, the Department of Energy uses those to create its annual fuel economy guide. 
They also send this information to the Department of Transportation, which uses this information to create its Corporate Average Fuel Economy Program, also known as CAFE, or oh. CAFE, C-A-F-E. <laughs> It doesn't have the little accent over it, so who knows. And then, of course, they send it off to everyone's favorite governmental agency in the entire world, Internal Revenue Service, Mm, IRS. My favorite. Yeah, it's for uh, their gas guzzler taxes programs where they you get taxed more if you're having a vehicle that is not very efficient. efficient. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of different incentives to getting a fuel-efficient car, one of which is just that you don't want to spend so much money whenever you have to go to the uh, to the gas station, right? You don't want to have to go frequently. Yeah, even if you hate the planet Earth, uh, <laughs> you've actually got a totally good selfish reason to want to get really good fuel economy. Yeah, you don't want to have to refuel all the time. You don't have right? to be some kind of environmentalist to, to really want to maximize miles per gallon. Sure, yeah, you... You want to be able to to stretch your dollar as far as it will go, right, in the United States. But assuming you don't well, hate the Earth. <laughs> well, assuming you don't hate the Earth, you also want to be very economic with your fuel consumption to produce fewer greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. to also create less demand in general for fuel because that causes – you know, that, that's there's a lot of energy that's just put into getting fuel – refining fuel, getting it to the place where it needs to be. Uh, there's also, from an, uh, a national perspective, there is a, a an incentive to reduce our dependence upon foreign oil. Politically, uh, yes. Politically, mm-hmm. yes, because Economically. there are a lot of purposes, reasons there. And, and, you know, granted, that's been changing a lot recently anyway with different uh, techniques for getting oil out of the ground. But all of these factor into reasons why fuel economy is a big deal from the very personal to the global scale. So the way they do this is they test out these vehicles in this facility and they try two different general styles of driving, which have undergone some tweaking over the years as people's driving habits uh, in general have changed. Now, keep in mind, all of this is very, very generalized. The individual driving style is going to determine a lot about the fuel economy of a specific vehicle more than just these tests. So Lauren could be driving uh, the exact same type of car that Joe drives, but both of your driving styles may be very different. So your actual experience of how frequently you need to refuel could also be different. It also depends. I mean, because because I think, Jonathan, that you're about to talk about um, highway versus city, city yes. driving. And, mm-hmm. and that also depends highly on, um, I mean, you know, what you would consider a highway here in Atlanta. You perhaps would not reach the speeds at some times of day that you would reach on a highway in any other place on the planet. Besides Los Angeles. <laughs> well, sure. Los but, Angeles and Atlanta have a lot in common as yeah. far as the driving habits are concerned. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It, in general, the way they define this, it's it's called city versus highway, but really what they mean is with highway driving, it's your the idea that you're traveling at what the speed limit would be on your typical highway at cruising speed without a lot of acceleration or deceleration or braking. So in other words, your engine would be operating at a consistent level for a prolonged period of time. How many miles per gallon would you get? In that set of circumstances, that's so that's highway miles. And those, of course, tend to be greater. I mean, they are they are greater than city miles because what city miles are, that's the idea of if you're driving around in an area where you do have to decelerate or accelerate, depending upon, you know, traffic lights, traffic itself, stop signs, that kind of thing, um, whether you're going to be using the brakes a lot. 
whether you're going to have a lot of idle time. So let's say that you come up to a stop stoplight where you're going to be sitting there for about 30 seconds. Just running your engine with your brakes depressed. And, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. That ends up consuming fuel. So your city miles are always fewer than your highway miles. But they test this in laboratory conditions. So first of all, it's not directly analogous to what you are going to experience on a day-to-day basis driving your vehicle, right? So if you're driving your vehicle, whether it's in Atlanta, which can be a traffic nightmare for anyone who has traveled through the, our beautiful city or someplace where the traffic is considered to be pretty light and, and well-managed, it's still going to be different than what you see on that sticker. You might have a little sticker shock when you start actually figuring out how many miles per gallon your car, quote-unquote, really gets compared to what it says on the sticker. But that depends both on the real-world situation you're in and your driving habits. Now, back in 2011, the EPA and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration redesigned the miles per gallon stickers on cars. So if you haven't bought a car recently or haven't been shopping for a car recently, the stickers will look a little different to you now, depending upon if they've rolled them out yet or not for that particular model. Right. They were, uh, I think they began in all 2013 model year cars. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but I think that was a, it wasn't, I'm not sure if it was mandatory. It was or not. not mandatory. Okay. It was one of those things that people, uh, that manufacturers and dealerships could opt mm-hmm. into doing, and more and more are doing that because sure. it tends to reflect well in sales. But generally, the stickers now have lots of stuff on there besides just these two numbers. So originally, you would see, you know, the highway highway miles per gallon and the city miles per gallon. Now it goes into things like a comparison of the energy use and cost between. Uh, that particular vehicle and a typical gasoline-powered vehicle, the average. The average. So right. take all the vehicles across the entire line, average that out. It would compare your vehicle, or the vehicle you're looking at, versus that that hypothetical average vehicle. So And the amount of, of savings specifically in fuel that, yeah, that you would assuming that you would get that. Right. Because you could have you could have a you could be looking at a vehicle that falls below this average, in which case you would see that there's a deficit there. Um but it would give you the idea of uh how it matches up against this sort of uh, hypothetical average vehicle. It would also give you estimates on how much you'll save uh per year on fuel costs compared to this average vehicle. So it might say, you, you know, if you were to buy this, you would save $2,000 per year on fuel costs or $8,000 per year. It all depends on what kind of vehicle you're looking at. Uh, it also gives ratings on how your vehicle compares to others when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, also, uh, which, again, if you're environmentally conscious, that could be a very important component to buying a car. There also will give an estimate of how much fuel or electricity it requires to drive 100 miles. So this is more similar to the approach you were talking about, about the, the liters to 100 kilometers. This would give you an idea of how, how many, how much gas do you need to go 100 miles or how much of a charge does it take to go 100 miles? So you can kind of make that determination of is this vehicle efficient for the way that I use vehicles? If I go on a lot of cross country trips, uh, an electric vehicle may not be very uh, m- might not be a good decision for me just because the way that I would need to recharge it, I don't know that I would be able to hit enough recharging stations and the recharging time it takes to get back to a full charge might mean that a different kind of vehicle would be better for me. 
But if I do a lot of short trips in a city, an electric vehicle may make perfect sense. So these are the sort of things that allow you to make those kind of decisions with as much information as possible. It also gives you the idea of the driving range information for electric vehicles, plus the actual amount of time it takes to charge one to full charge uh, from empty. And uh, like you said, Lauren, the labels began to roll out late 2012 into 2013. It's still being adopted in some places. In some places, it may not have been adopted yet. But if you see one of these, that's what you know. That's what this is all about: is to give the consumer more information when it comes to fuel economy. Uh, and of course, things have made that more complicated. Everything from hybrid cars and electric vehicles have made this a, a very difficult conversation to have in some ways because we don't all. We're not all using the same power source, right? We're not all using the same sort of fuel. So that makes it a little tricky when you're starting to try and make comparisons. Right. What What is a gallon of gas compared to the oh. output of electricity from a nuclear power plant versus a coal power plant? Uh, are you Are you charging your car at peak hour or during off, off hours? Peak hours. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there are a lot of different factors. It makes it pretty complex. So I can understand why this is a confusing subject. But even if you're just looking at miles per gallon... That alone gets pretty confusing. Uh, that also ties into a tool I wanted to mention, the instant miles per gallon readout, which is also known as an instant fuel consumption display or instant fuel economy gauge. Now, if you've ever driven a hybrid vehicle, you've seen one of these because they're standard in just about every hybrid vehicle I've ever seen. This is this is what tells you how much gas you are consuming at the current moment, at that sp- precise moment. I've seen uh, even non-hybrid vehicles. That have sure, them. there are non-hybrid vehicles that have. It's just that you find them in all hybrid vehicles at this point, as far as I know. But yeah, this is starting to become something that you'll see in other vehicles as well. Uh, in fact, the, the I've driven, uh, well, I've ridden in a couple of vehicles that have these. I don't drive, so I, I am the wrong person to talk about the personal experience. But how these work, they actually have lots of different sensors, and the sensors are all collecting data on various things that are going on inside your car. For example, the how hard your engine is working. There are sensors that measure that and factor that. There are sensors that measure the fuel flow rate through the fuel lines of your vehicle. There are manifold pressure uh, sensors. Now, your manifold, in case you don't know, uh, the intake manifold is a series of tubes that distributes air into your engine so that it can mix with the fuel so that it will combust. Why are you laughing at me, Joe? I'm sorry. You said a series of tubes. I can't <laughs> hear not that. It's not the internet. Without, it's not the internet. It's a totally different series of tubes. Okay. Um, but no, it is, a, it is a series of tubes. It's, you know, these tubes no, that will you. open or close depending upon the cycle that your engine is in. Because in some cycles it needs to take in air and the rest of them, it, you do not want those to be open. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it will measure the manifold pressure. Uh, there are other sensors that will measure the throttle position of the vehicle. And there is a central computer that takes in all this information that's been gathered up by the sensors and then calculates how much fuel is being consumed at that exact moment, sending that information to some sort of display that is easily readable uh, for the driver. Uh, and this will give you an instant look at what what your your car is doing at that time. And in fact, if you have a vehicle in the United States anyway, if you have a vehicle that was manufactured after 1996 but does not have one of these, it's very easy to get one installed because any vehicle manufactured after that year uh, sold in the U.S. had to have as part of it an onboard diagnostic system or the OBD2 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is essentially a computer on your in your car that it's monitoring uh, everything that's going on in your engine and etc. Exactly. Yeah. So if your engine check engine light comes on, that's because something has been detected by this onboard system. And it tells the light to come on, which, of course, tells you to put a piece of tape over that light. Uh, the, <laughs> but no, you, you can have, you can have, uh, one of these gauges connected to that system. Uh, I would not do this myself because I am not a car guy. I would actually have someone else do it for me, but I have been told that it's one of those relatively easy things to do for yourself if you're a, if you're the handy type. Uh, I am not, so I would I would leave that to someone who is much more confident in their abilities to work with a car without ruining it. At any rate, uh, so you can get these that are standard with your vehicle. Some of them are optional with vehicles, and of course there are aftermarket solutions, like I just said. And this will give you that instant look at what your car is doing. So if you think of the EPA numbers as kind of like climate, and the instant gauge as being weather. That's kind of the idea here. Like the climate Mm. is sort of the long term. That's what you can expect as sort of the average under average conditions. The uh, the instant gauge gives you exactly what's happening at that moment and can even tell you what which of your behaviors as a driver are contributing to fuel consumption. Uh, right. And I'm, you know, part of it is just that it's making you more self-aware of what you're doing the same way that, that wearing a, a, a fitness tracker is going to make you more self-aware of your movement. Sure. And um uh, that's that. That's part of what that entire switch from miles per gallon to gallons per mile thought is about. Uh, researchers at Duke, who had had an argument while carpooling in a hybrid car, uh, put together a study. <laughs> True fact, they did. Um, uh, put, put together a study and found that when you express things as gallons per 100 miles, people are able to make a better judgment call about what car of of two or or what kind of upgrade is going to be more. I love that the reason that study was done is because some scientists had an argument in the carpool lane. That, to me, like that's how science is done, people. You get a bunch of scientists together, maybe get a drink into them. Not if they're going to be behind the wheel, obviously. No, no. But, uh, you know, then they start getting in an argument. Next thing you know, science happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how quantum mechanics came about. Yeah, but. you turn off the AC, <laughs> let them get a little cranky. <laughs> <laughs> Turning off the AC is one of the ways that you can save fuel. You yeah, know, we should talk about that. Did Let's you look into like, so? What are some ways that the average person can get better miles per gallon or gallons per mile or uh, fuel economy liters per hundred kilometers? Let's just say fuel economy. Out of their standard car. For my sanity, let's say fuel economy. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, like like I said, uh, air conditioning, and there is a little bit of, of buzz about, you know, if, if you're cruising around town and you have your windows rolled down and you accidentally form rhyme schemes while you're just talking in conversation, um, that's not a necessary part of the equation. Uh, <laughs> would, would, would the drag from the open windows create uh, a more taxing energy than the AC unit. And right. So if you had the windows rolled up, AC blasting, or you had the AC off, but the windows rolled down and the drag affecting the car, is one more inefficient than the other? Basically, if you're, if you're rolling around town, if you're, if you're not getting up to highway speeds of, say, uh, over 50 miles an hour, then go ahead, roll your windows down and suffer, you know, enjoy the terrific air what of your, if, what of your if city you like, system. What if you like to roll your windows down and have the AC blasting at 50 miles per hour? Then you're a villain in Captain Planet. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, he, he, Sly, he has, Sly Sludge, what, was it, what were their names? He has had some words with me in the past. I, I'm forgetting entirely right now, Joe. Um, but um, uh, so uh, if, you're, if you're idling for more than a minute, turning off your engine 
it seems like it would be a drastic thing, but if you know that a stoplight, for example, is going to take more than more than a minute, and and that's that's getting a little bit into um, something called a uh, hypermiling, which I believe Joe is going to talk about in a second. It's but, it's also something that's going into the design of vehicles, and we can probably expect to see that rolled out over the next few years. A lot of more uh, hybrid vehicles do this all the time, right? But a lot of other standard gasoline-powered vehicles are starting to get into this start-stop or idle-stop mode where if the car detects that it's in idle, it'll end up shutting off the engine. When you depress the accelerator, it'll cause the engine to come back on, and that way it will cut down on fuel consumption automatically. So right now you've got people who are doing this manually, unless they happen to have one of the vehicles, that, like a hybrid, that does this already. Uh, but uh, soon it's not even going to be a manual thing. It's just going to be built into various vehicles. Uh, right. So, um, uh, furthermore, don't speed. Um, cars cars gain efficiency up to about 55 miles per hour, about 88 kilometers per hour. And after that, they, they lose fuel efficiency. Um, it, it can be, you know, for, for another 10 miles per hour, what's that, uh, 20, 20 kilometers per hour, you can lose like 15 percent efficiency, according to the Department of Energy. You Also, if you were to go 55 miles per hour on an Atlanta highway, you would probably be run off the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, obviously, this is a thing that, that, you know, don't don't disobey traffic laws and don't get yourself killed yeah. in order to save fuel. That would that would not it kind of defeats the purpose. You no know, other basic stuff. Uh, coast and stops rather than accelerating into a red light and then braking really sharply. I can't believe everybody does this. I ride with people who there's a red light up ahead and they're still pressing the gas. What's going on? It makes me very nervous. Or, yeah, um, or, I, or I don't say anything because I've been yelled at too many times. <laughs> or consider uh, idling forward when you pull out rather than peeling out. Um, mm-hmm. Quick acceleration is always going to be your your biggest gas guzzler. Gotcha. Um, remove excess baggage from your car if you've got uh you know, removing the the, the kind of rule of thumb is that removing a hundred pounds or about forty five kilograms of weight from your car will give it a boost of one to two percent in fuel economy. Gotcha. So yeah, so don't just leave stuff laying around in your car if it doesn't need to be there. Right. Right. Gotcha. Um, changing your air filter will not help. Uh, con- uh, contrary to, to popular belief, unless your car is from before 1980. Um, but a tune-up can improve mileage by about 4% and, uh, keep your, keep, keeping your oil fresh and clean, um, and, and of the right grade for your car can give you another 1 to 2%. Right. And, and a lot of the things we're talking about here will also help cut down on general maintenance fees as well. If you're keeping your car in good condition, uh, while you will have to endure regular uh, costs to keep your car in good working order. Uh, you know, if you if you add those together, that's still less than what you have to do if you have to fix something if something catastrophic happens. Right. Uh, that that's also the case in terms of keeping your tires at the correct pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you keep them at whatever the correct pressure is for your car, you, you can you can prevent like three percent fuel efficiency loss from drag. I, of course, if you overinflate them, um, you can either pop them and cause a terrible accident, or um, it will make braking harder, and therefore um, it'll cancel out any benefit you might right. have had. Sure. Yeah. So, so really, obviously, taking care of your car is one of the big things, and just trying to avoid being uh, uh, overly aggressive when you're driving is another. Uh, but there are some people who have really taken these techniques and extended them out to what one might say is. 
a crazy level, right, Joe? Yeah, so these people are called hypermilers. They okay. are people who want to get hypermiles, just ridiculous amounts of miles per gallon, totally unreasonable expectations for fuel economy. And like so, above and beyond what the EPA says, right? Right. A, a lot of what they do is based on the kind of stuff Lauren just said, which is totally reasonable. Uh, so a lot of it's about optimizing your car. You want to remove all unnecessary weight. You want to keep the oil changed. You want to keep the tire pressure optimal and especially balanced so it's not more on one side than the other. Um, and uh, to just slow down. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. like she was saying, if, if every few miles per hour you go beyond 55 or so, you're in- losing an incredible amount of efficiency. Um, so stuff like that is reasonable. Other stuff, not so much. Now, I'm going to explain a few things here and do not take this as a cue to go try them. These are not personal Be- recommendations. We have we have moved out of the recommendations part of the episode. Yeah. Uh, much of this is frankly not safe. Um, and some of which isn't exactly dangerous could be majorly annoying to other people on the road. Uh, yeah. So w- one of the things that these guys talk about is uh, coasting. And so coasting makes sense in one way. Uh, if you see up ahead there's a red light or something like that, mm-hmm. you don't want to continue applying gas. You want to slow down and just coast. Another way of coasting, though, ties in with the thing they want to do, which is avoiding idling. So what you'll hear from a lot of these hypermiler hobbyists is that they will turn the gas off when they are going downhill. Well, that's uh, terrifying. Not turn the gas off, turn the engine off. Uh, do not do this, okay? The police say that this is illegal in some places, and where it's not illegal, it's dangerous either way. Mm-hmm. Uh you should not be trying to do this, but they'll find every chance they can essentially to turn the engine off because when a car is in neutral, usually it's idling, which means it's it's still it's using, using gas right. and you're getting zero miles per gallon and they don't like that. So if you're stuck at a train or if you're, say, going through a drive-thru, now typically hypermilers seem to hate drive-thrus. You don't want to go through them. But if you do have to go through a drive-thru, what they're saying is turn your engine off while you're sitting at the drive-thru and just wait for the person ahead of you to go all the way through, and then you go after them, which is, I'm I'm sure, makes you extremely popular with the people behind you. Mm. Um, <laughs> there is another idea, which is um, ridge riding. I'm not sure where this fits into the uh, safety picture, but the idea goes like this. So... Every day on a standard road, there might, you know, there are thousands of cars that go by and eventually they cause an erosion or deterioration in the parts of the lane where the tires usually fall. Gotcha. So it's kind of wearing away a little spot. Yeah. And it's creating depressions there. And mm-hmm. so the idea of ridge riding is to ride in such a way that your tires do not u- fall in the ruts made by most other cars and I think the idea is that if the road is at all wet, you'll uh, avoid the friction created by puddles 
there. And if the road is not wet, you'll just generally cut down on the surface contact between your tire and the road. So your your car's a little offset from where the average car has traveled down that road. Yeah. I I don't know what the experts say about the safety of this. It sort of sounds weird to me because it sounds like they're saying you want to ride like off kilter of the lane. Yeah. Um, I guess it would depend upon the width of the lane. If the lane is is particularly, you know, there's some, (laughs) anyone who's, who's had the pleasure of driving through Atlanta knows that lane width is kind of a variable. It's a variable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of different things to different people, you know? Um, but yeah, there's some parts of Atlanta where you'll be in a lane and you're thinking, this 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 lane is like a car and a half wide. And there are other ones where you're thinking, I hope no one's coming the other way because even though this is technically a two-lane road, there's no space. Yeah, so I don't know for a fact that that one's a safety hazard, but I I wouldn't recommend it. Right. I, I would say hold off. Um and and let's wait till the facts are in. Yeah. Right. Uh, one that is absolutely not a good idea is known as drafting. Ah, yes. Um, this is where, say, you're on the freeway and traffic is moving at seventy miles an hour, and you want to keep up with traffic uh, and go quickly. Well, why don't you just get over right behind a big tractor trailer and and ride right up on his backside? Because then that cuts down on the air resistance. Mm-hmm. The yeah, tractor trailer is doing all the work for you. In yeah, that it cr- sense. creates a slipstream. So it's sort of creating a cone of air resistance that goes around the truck and you're not hitting it. So you're going just as fast, but with much less friction from the atmosphere. Yeah, um, Mythbusters actually did a segment on this where they tested it out to see if... I think they, they said it works, Oh, no, right? they, they they showed, at least in their tests, mm-hmm. keep in mind that it's a Mythbusters test, and I love the Mythbusters, but, you know, it's one of those things that gives you an implication. You can't really think of it as necessarily scientifically rigorous, but they're... they're Experiments that they did were uh, seemed to show that yes, it was working. The only thing is that it is really dangerous. Oh, right. So well, the dangerous. thing is that if, if someone in front of you breaks between between human uh, human lapse time of of seeing and reacting and reacting, um, it yeah. is is at least a second. Yeah, you become ish. you become semi pate. Yeah, right. yeah. You're, well, yeah. you're you're putting yourself in danger. You're putting other cars on the road in danger. It's just it, it's a really horrible idea. Sure, don't. Do this. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Good rule of thumb is is to have two seconds between you and whatever is in front of you on the highway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I usually go with a. I usually hear three, but it's the same sort of idea. The idea that you you look at something that the vehicle ahead of you has passed and start counting, and if you got to if you didn't even get to two, you are a little too close. You need to back off. Yeah. Um, okay. So some other things that are definitely not as dangerous as that, but. Uh, but maybe really annoying and obsessive involve the meticulous planning of routes. Oh yes. Um, so you, you, you learn exactly like this route is ideal for the, you know, this, this is going to end up costing me the least amount of fuel, even if it's, it might be a slightly longer route, but because mm-hmm. there are fewer stops, that might mean that you get better fuel efficiency. Less traffic. Right. Uh, yeah. More right turns. So if you if you go to like Google Maps or something and you ask them for directions, they're typically going to just give you the shortest route to get right. there, right? But 
that isn't always the most fuel efficient route mm-hmm. um, because it, if you're if you have the choice of driving a longer route with no other traffic on the road versus a shorter route with a lot of red lights and traffic, and the longer route is kind of thing. is in many cases going to be more. You're going to use less gas doing it, right? Because you're going to spend less time idling. You're going to spend less time changing speeds. That's a big thing. Oh, sure. You, you want to avoid changing speeds. Yeah, keep your engine at a nice, consistent level, and yeah. it doesn't have to do a lot of work as it's shifting up or down. Right. Um, hills can be a big thing, too. Yep. Uh, ideally, you'd want to just drive. Well, ideally, I guess you'd want to drive downhill all the way. But Which you can do you if know. you live at certain parts of San Francisco. <laughs> the, the trouble is stopping. Yeah. Um, so a flat road is better than going over a bunch of hills. Sure. And uh, then also there are even more, there, there are crazier things that people really do consider like crosswinds and headwinds. Wow. Okay. Now, let me ask you something about this, Joe, because, I mean, I, I have heard about hypermiling before this. Uh, our, our colleague, Josh Clark, wrote an article for How Stuff Works about how hypermiling works. He even, and he and Chuck did an uh, episode of Stuff You Should Know About It. Uh, so, but I, I really didn't know much about it before I had heard them talk about it. To your knowledge, do you know if most people who are hypermilers are – is that something they do consistently? Like this is something they do – this is a lifestyle choice for them that they do to in order to really uh, conserve on fuel? Or is this one of those things that's more like, I wonder how little fuel it will take me if I do all this stuff to do – like almost like bragging rights? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I – Obviously, I'm not deeply embedded in the hypermiler community, but I've done a little reading online. And from what I see, I, I don't think it's like people who are really interested in, say, the environment or saving money all the time. I think it's, it's more, more often a, a hobbyist kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, like you're, like it, like min maxing your character in a role playing game. Yeah, making me exactly. think of a, a Stephen King short story about finding the the shortest shortcut between two points. A tesseract. Yeah, it's a really good it's it's a really good short story. Anyway, um but you just think about all the things they go through. Um I mean, I I do think getting really good fuel efficiency is a cool thing to do if you sure. know how to do it and paying attention can make a big difference. But when you think about all the things they do in in some cases it's it's such minutia, you know, just these tiny little things that you're adding up. You kind of have to think it, it has to be sort of an intentional, in most cases at least, an intentional lifestyle choice that, that's sort of like a hobby. I mean, if you think about like just the planning that goes into choosing a parking space if you're a hypermiler. Right. Uh, well, say you, yeah. you want to go park at some department store. Uh, well, you don't actually want to park close to the door because the time you spend looking for a parking space is going to be uh, – fuel wasted while you're idling or waiting for somebody to back out or trying to get around where people are walking. Instead, what you probably want to do is uh, like find the closest possible parking space to the entrance of the parking lot that faces outward so that you don't have to back out of the space when you're leaving. It makes me think like if you were to call up someone who was really serious into this and say, hey, I was thinking about catching a movie, you'd get an answer like, (laughs) cool, I've run the numbers. Uh, January 7th, 2015 at 1.27 p.m. is when we'll go. All the traffic lights, they're going to (laughs) align. Yeah, Yeah. don't know what's going to be playing, but that's when we're going to (laughs) go. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and from, from a money perspective at a certain point, it sounds like your time could be better used collecting aluminum cans it, it for com- donations. It comes down then. to that idea of, of the people who will go to incredible lengths to get out of doing something and they yeah. end up expending way more energy in getting out of doing it than they would if or they'd like, just done it. Yeah, yeah. Or, so, or like mega coupons or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think m- maybe there are some people who do this out of, you know, something about uh, about pollution or, or saving money. But but I think in many cases it's just like a it's a cool thing to figure out. Yeah, like I was able to go fifty nine miles on a single gallon of gas, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I mean that, and you know, not to obviously fuel economy is something that we are actually concerned about. It's just one of those things where there's there's always extremes, right? Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, I mean, just remember. All, all the stuff we mentioned that's reasonable and safe, by all means, do it. I sure, mean, yeah. It, it's going to help. It's going to save you money. It's going to save fuel. It's going to uh, help save just, the environment. Yeah, just don't turn your engine off while you're driving and don't tailgate a tractor trailer. Right. Wait until those those uh, the, at least the start-stop thing becomes a standard part of most vehicles <laughs> because then you don't have to worry about handling all that manually. It'll be done for you. Um, so I was going to talk a little bit about some of the – the, the stuff that goes into engineering better fuel economy, especially moving forward. Uh, part of that's just coming up with new materials to build cars out of, stuff that's more lightweight. Because clearly the heavier a vehicle is, the more work the engine has to do to move it, and therefore the more fuel it needs to consume in order to generate the power necessary to move that vehicle. So if you're able to make lighter vehicles, it takes less fuel to move them. Not, not tough to figure out. Uh, the government, the United States government, has put fuel economy standards at uh, 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. Wow. Which is pretty, that's a pretty big jump from where we are right now. A lot of this is going to be, you know, will be helped by things like hybrid vehicles, electric vehicles, obviously, you know, you're talking about a totally different set of standards there, but hybrid mm-hmm. vehicles uh, end up consuming far less fuel than uh, than a, a traditional gasoline-only powered vehicle. Uh, there's also the talk about using smaller turbocharged engines uh, with a lot of electric accessories to take the load off of uh, needing to burn more fuel. The idle stop features we have already mentioned. Uh, lots of uh, developments in transmissions going to multi-speed or continuously variable transmissions so that the engine has uh, to make fewer big steps whenever you are putting increased or decreased demand upon the engine. So instead of it shifting, you know, instead of having five speeds, maybe it has a hundred speeds. It's just that they're all so, so narrow that the engine doesn't have to do a lot of work to switch from one to the next. And then there's also the looking at some other future fuel potential. There's still this idea that may come about, may become a real viable thing of fuel cell vehicles. Right now, fuel cell vehicles are, there are, there are some, there are quite a few depending upon certain industries, but very few for consumer uh, uses because we don't have a hydrogen fuel infrastructure out there. So it's really hard to refuel, you know, and a fuel cell ends up combining hydrogen and oxygen. Well, there are multiple different types of fuel cells, but the kind we usually talk about with cars uses hydrogen and oxygen. There's an electrochemical uh, uh, reaction where you harness the electricity given off, and then your output is electricity, heat, and water. So that's what you generate. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about generating other greenhouse gases besides water vapor, which is a greenhouse gas and a powerful one, but uh, also can go right into the the water cycle. But there's potential for that to actually come of age in the next few years. That's going to take a lot of 
work? I mean, you're talking about building out an entire infrastructure to support a fleet of vehicles. For a nation as large as the United States, that's a multi-billion dollar effort you're talking about. But it doesn't mean that it won't happen. It just means that it's very expensive and it's going to be uh, – it's it's not going to be an easy, easy road to go down. I'm sorry about the pun – <laughs> didn't intend it when I started. You're never and, sorry uh, about puns, I'm a little Jonathan. sorry. Uh, there's also the, the the development. Maybe we go back to using more diesel vehicles uh, that are running on biofuels. Uh, we do use some biofuel in gasoline-powered vehicles, ethanol, for example. But biodiesel is something that could also be uh, an alternative. It may not mean that everyone will be driving it, but it might become a viable option. Or uh, algae-powered cars. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's switchgrass-powered cars, you know, yeah. this kind of idea. And also just improvements in aerodynamic design. Cutting down on air resistance can really help on fuel economy as well. Obviously, that's not something you can do with your vehicle once you've bought it. I mean, at least yeah. not to the a significant degree. To, you just want to add as many spoilers as possible. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just tape them on. Also, paint your vehicle red because everyone knows the red ones go faster. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, those are your general approaches. Like, it, it, there may be something, you know, monumental that gets developed over the next few years that really affects fuel economy. But for the most part, we're looking at small incremental improvements that can be seriously boosted by consumer behavior. So this is something that you really can have a personal effect on that, that's going to – you'll see it reflected in things like how much money you're spending per month on fuel. So – it's a good thing to, to talk about. You guys have anything else you want to add about fuel economy? I predict the cars of the future will be powered by uh, winged Pegasies that, that draw them with leather straps. Excellent. I look forward to that. On a molecular level, I completely agree with you. Uh, molecular Pegasies. I was totally down with Mr. Fusion, but I, I, I guess I'm outvoted. Pegasus it is. All right. So, uh, guys, if you agree with Joe's assertion that soon mythological creatures will power all of our vehicles let us know so i can put you on a list i didn't say all oh i'm sorry <laughs> I, I apologize didn't mean to put words in your mouth joe all right so guys if you have anything you would like to add to this conversation go to fwthinking.com that is the website where you're going to find all of forward thinking we've got videos we've got blog posts we've got podcasts we've got articles We've got a lot of great stuff there that you need to check out, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 